Good morning, everyone. It's my joy, as always, to worship with you. And now it's my, my joy and privilege to open God's Word for you. We started a mini-series last week on sharing the gospel. A mini-series on sharing the gospel. And by, that, by the gospel, we mean the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that we can be saved from the punishment our sins deserve and can be fully reconciled to God for eternity because of what Jesus accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the central message of Christianity that we want to share and spread far and wide. And I said last week that I would love to see us as a local church growing in this area, growing in evangelism, growing in sharing the gospel. I'd love to see us become more intentional as individuals in looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And when those opportunities are there, to not shrink back from those opportunities, but to take them. Be faithful to tell as many people as possible about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, think of this. The Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God to save. This world is dying. This world is dying. And we have the cure. And the gospel is the cure. And it's the only cure. The only cure. We must share it. We must share it far and wide. And one of the things that will help us with that is being more confident that we are in fact ready to share the gospel. That we know what content is actually a part of this message. What information do I actually need to communicate to somebody? And, and how can I explain it and be clear? And that's why we're doing this series. is because I would love for every one of you to come to a place where you are more sure of your ability to explain the gospel clearly. And therefore, we'll be more confident to take opportunities to share the gospel. We said last week that one helpful way to think about what we need to communicate, one helpful way to think about what we need to help people understand, is to remember this four-part outline. And to use this outline as a guide when you share the gospel with others. And I say it's, it's, it's a guide because you may remember from last week as well, we said, look, we're not just giving every, every person we interact with the same five sentences. No, what we need to do is we need to help them understand every one of these points in this outline so that we know that they haven't just heard some sentences from us, but they've actually understood the message. They've understood what we're talking about, okay? Especially in a country like South Africa, where lots of people will say the name of Jesus, lots of people will talk about the blood, lots of people will talk about faith and all sorts of things, 
but they'll have some unbiblical ideas of what those things actually mean. They won't actually understand what those things mean. But we need to be able to walk people through this and be sure that they understand the gospel. And that outline again is God, man, Christ, response. And so last week was part one of this series and we looked at points one and two, God and man. And essentially we said that God, point number one, is creator of all, which establishes him as the absolute authority over each one of us and the one to whom we should be deeply, deeply thankful because he's not only the giver and sustainer of our life, but he's the giver of absolutely every good gift we enjoy. We should be thankful to him. We should honor him as God. Our lives should orient around him. And with man, what did we say? Mankind is rightly under the wrath of God. Why? Because he created us good, but we rebelled against him. We've not given him the, him the thanks we should. We haven't honored him as God. We've rejected him. And as our pastor said last week, even though he's made it clear to us that he is real and he is great and glorious, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We try and close the door on that truth so that it, it doesn't affect our lives. We would rather be our own king and so we deny the reality of God. We deny the fact that we should be bowing to him, submitting to him, living our life in orientation around him. And we instead live for ourselves. And we'll take God's gifts and then turn our back on the giver himself. It, we are wicked, ungrateful, self-centered in rebellion against our God and his anger and wrath against our sin and rebellion is righteous and where we ended last week is we said well therefore if we're following this following along here it is good and right it is fair that if the story ends at that point Right? God is glorious. He created us good. We rebel against Him. And now, rightly so, we're under His wrath. We're already, we're already facing some of the consequences of our sin. We're living in a fallen world with sickness and sadness, with death. And we're looking ahead. Right? We're facing further judgment. We're facing our own death. We're facing hell. And rightly so. And it would be fair if that was the end of the story because we deserve that. But, right? And this is where we ended last week. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And this is why we've got such good news. This is why we, 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 we love to talk about grace. Grace, undeserved favor. 
kindness from God that we do not deserve. Christ Jesus came into the world to save pretty good people who were almost there and just needed a little bit of help. No, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. While we were still enemies of God, He rescued us. He made a plan to save us. And that's our focus this week. The gracious, gracious, saving work of Jesus Christ. We need the backdrop of last week to see just how kind and gracious and necessary the work of Jesus is. Our passage for today is 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 18. But before I read the passage, let me give you the first point we're going to draw from this passage so that we can see it in the passage as we read it. I'll highlight it in the passage as we read it. And that point is that by His grace, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Notice as I read here, the initiative, the initiative God takes to rescue us through Christ. It is Him who acts first. It is Him who acts according to His own desire. Verse 18, all this is from God. It's from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He, it's God again, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's all His initiative because of His grace, because of His kindness. God comes to the rescue. We are the rebels. We're the ones who picked the fight. We're the ones who've spat in his face. We're the ones who've turned our back on him. We are the ones who have not been thankful. We are the ones who've acted like we want nothing to do with our creator. But he's the one who initiates reconciliation. He's the one who, who makes a plan to fix the problem. God comes to the rescue. We're God's enemies. He makes a plan to reconcile us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, when we're explaining this to others, we need to explain to them who is Christ. Well, this is referring to Jesus Christ. You may remember from our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark that Christ is not a surname. It's not a name. It's a title. 
It's a title. A Christ, which would be the Greek term, or a Mashiach, which would be the Hebrew term, uh, means an anointed one. Someone who had been chosen by God to fulfill a very special purpose. So in the Old Testament, we see that prophets were anointed by God to fulfill that special purpose. Priests were anointed ones. And kings were anointed to fulfill that special role. All of these roles were Mashiachs, anointed ones. And the Jewish people had been awaiting an especially special Messiah. Messiah with a capital M, or you could say Christ with a capital C, who was going to come and who was going to make all things right. John 3.16 tells us, for God, okay, again, who's initiating this? Who's the one who's coming to the rescue? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's who we're talking about here. Jesus is God the Son, the promised Messiah, come to rescue and save sinners. And how, how does God rescue us? How does God save us through Jesus? Our passage tells us God saves us through an incredible exchange, an amazing exchange. Here's the starting point, right? You and I are sinners in rebellion against God, rightly deserving of his wrath and punishment. That's the starting point. But then Jesus, God the Son, came and lived a perfect life here on this earth. He, as our passage put it, knew no sin. Knew no sin. Never committed any sin. And further, further, as we see in the Gospels, he fulfilled all righteousness. He fulfilled all righteousness, meaning he obeyed God perfectly. It's not just that he never disobeyed God, it's also that he obeyed God perfectly in everything, in every way. He fulfilled all righteousness. Okay? So, there's you and I, rebellion against God, deserving of his punishment. There's Jesus, who knew no sin, who fulfilled all righteousness, who was deserving of God's reward. And then there's an amazing exchange, right? There's an amazing exchange. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God punishes Jesus as if he was guilty of our sin. That's what's happening at the cross. The only human being to never sin, the only human being who never deserved death, dies in our place. 
God punishes Jesus as if he was guilty of our sin. And then what happens? What's the other piece of the exchange? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, so that it might be as if we know no sin and have all righteousness. So that God can then reward us as if we had lived that life. As if we had lived Jesus' sinless, all-righteous, completely God-glorifying life. That's the exchange. That's the exchange. And it is an amazing exchange. My friends, we've got to note that our salvation is based 100% on Jesus, right? That's how this exchange takes place. He takes all of my sin. He gets punished for all of my sin. And I receive all of his righteousness. And I receive all the reward for all of his righteousness. It's all Jesus. And it's all grace. We don't deserve this. We're the rebels. We're the enemies of God. We do not deserve this. Friends, it's very important that we explain to people that Jesus didn't just come to take us from 70% to 90%. From 60% to 100%. He's not just topping us up. He paid for all our sins. He gave us all his righteousness. There's nothing left to pay for. There's nothing left to pay for. And he didn't just give us partial righteousness. There's nothing left to do. There's no good works that I need to do that Jesus didn't do already for me. Friends, the Bible tells us that when we try to earn our salvation, when we try to pay for our sins, when we try to do some good works and present those to God, that they are like filthy, filthy rags. And in reality, when we bring these filthy rags to, to God and we say, here, why don't you take this? It actually increases the offense against Him, that we would think, that our filthy rags could pay for something. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, this is a passage we'll look at more next week, but it helps us here with this point. It says this, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved. Okay, what, again, let's, let's make sure we know what this word means. In other words, you have been saved even though you do not deserve it. You have been saved even though there was nothing good in you to make God uh, take compassion on you that he wouldn't have taken on somebody else. No, you have been saved even though you did not deserve it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It had nothing to do with you. It is a gift of God. 
This isn't my salary. It's not my wages. It's not something I work for. It's not something I've earned. It is a gift. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Okay? If you are a Christian here today, it is not because you're a better person than others. It's not because of anything you've done. If you are right in the eyes of God, it is because Jesus died for you. And you gratefully put your faith and trust in Him. God offered us, offers this gift, and you received it. That's it. Now, what are we talking about here? What, what is it actually that, that God accomplishes through Jesus dying on the cross? What, what are we talking about here? Well, God reconciles us to himself through Christ. God reconciles us to himself through Christ. What does that mean? First of all, it means... Our sins are no longer counted against us. We see that in verse 19. Our sins are no longer counted against us. Okay? We saw last week there's a significant need for reconciliation. Why? Because there's issues between us and God. There's our, 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 our stubborn, ongoing lack of gratitude and rebellion and spitting in his face. That, that, that is now, I need a third arm. This is me, this is God. There's these issues here in the middle, right? Well, those issues in between us are no longer there. Our sins are no longer counted against us. They have been punished in Jesus on the cross. Secondly, we are now fully pleasing to God. We have become the righteousness of God in Him, in Jesus Christ, that is. We have become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And again, it's as if we have lived Jesus is perfect, sinless, God-honoring life. And so what does that mean? No, so no, there's no longer issues between us and God. And when God looks at us, what he sees, he's perfectly happy with. Okay? Now, I'm not in theology, we talk about our position before God, right? Our standing before God. Now, certainly there's a need for us to grow in holiness. We all need to grow. Every Christian needs to grow in holiness. But the wonderful truth about what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross is that God views us as if we are currently God on earth. Currently holy. Currently living a life of perfect righteousness. That's the way he treats us. Think back of what the Father said of the Son in the Gospels. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That is how God views you because you and Jesus swapped, remember? That, that exchange. 
So what type of reconciliation are we talking about? Well, we were at odds, we were enemies. The issues between us have been dealt with, that brings us closer. Okay, now not only that, but God looks on us as if we've lived a life perfectly pleasing to Him. And not only that, we are reconciled with God, and that speaks of relationship. It speaks of relationship. We're no longer His enemies, we're at peace. Unbelievably, as some other passages emphasize, it's not just that we are um, outsiders who are, who, who, who are living in a way that pleases Him. No, we are further, we are adopted into His family. We go from enemy to son. As the song we were singing earlier today puts it, we were once your enemy, and now God, we're seated at your table, part of your family. There could not be a more complete and total reconciliation. Again, this is about, yes, certainly it's about salvation from hell, but amazingly, this is about being as close relationally close as we possibly could be with the God of the universe forever. That is what God has secured for us through Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. Some closing thoughts, though, on evangelism from this passage. Okay? That, what we've just covered there, is the message. That's what we need to try and explain to people. Um, but now, this passage also has a lot to say to us, not just about the what we need to communicate in evangelism, but also about the how. First of all, in this passage, we see the privilege and the responsibility of evangelism. Verse 19 says that God entrusted, isn't that a wonderful word? God entrusted this message to us. Verse 20 says, we're ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors of the King of Kings. We're His official representatives. Verse 20 goes on to talk as if God Himself is making an appeal through us. As if we are a God's mouthpiece to communicate this saving message. And it talks about us pleading with people on behalf of Christ. Amazing, amazing, incredible privilege and weighty responsibility, right, as well. Incredible privilege and weighty responsibility. Friends, we must be faithful with this message. Let it not be said of us that God entrusted a message to us and we never delivered it. May that never be said of us. We must be faithful to deliver the message. And it's His message, right? We don't get to add things to it. We don't get to tweak it. We don't get to uh, come along with our own special message. 
No additions, no subtractions, no changes. We've been given the message, and now we must communicate it. Secondly, humility and sincerity. Humility and sincerity are necessary in evangelism. We were in need of this salvation too. Let's not forget that. We were in need of this salvation too. Verse 18 reminds us, as Paul's talking here, it reminds us that we have been reconciled to God ourselves, right? Even the Apostle Paul needed that reconciliation once upon a time. Further, since we are undeserving of this salvation, it is certainly nothing but grace that we have been entrusted with this message. It's amazing grace that we should be saved. It's amazing grace that God should include us in extending this message to others. We should not be proud. We should not be self-righteous. Nobody should get the impression that we are communicating this to them as if we are, are, are better people than them. And friends, it should be very clear to them that we were in desperate need of a Savior. And now we've found that Savior. And we want them to know about that Savior too. If we're to properly represent Christ as His ambassadors, we need to represent the heartbeat behind this message. Verse 20, God makes His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An appeal. We implore. We should not deliver this message like we're just checking something off our to-do list. Like as long as we spit the words out, mission accomplished. This is a message from the king. It is a message that has been entrusted to us. It is weighty. It is important. It could not be more important. We want the person we're engaging with to realize this. And this is hard, right? You walk up to somebody on the street and they just want to get away from the conversation as quickly as they can. And they think that you're probably a little bit weird. Right? And Slam's just nodding his head. He does this a lot. He's like, yeah, more often than not. Okay? And now you've got to somehow try and get across to them. No, no, no. If you really realize what it is that I have to communicate with you, you would cancel whatever it is you're on a rush to get to. You would, you would sit down with me and you would ask me question after question. You would want to make sure that you get this full message and you understand it fully. So we do our best, right? We've got to do our best to try and get that across. This is how you can be reconciled to God. Oh, you don't even know that you're his enemy yet. Okay, well, I've got to explain that to you. Let me go back to the beginning. Okay, let me, okay. All right, now you, now, now you see the problem. Let me tell you about the solution. Let me tell you about Jesus. The Savior and the only Savior. 
My friends, also, it's important, right? It's important to know this. God desires to save people. And the way we communicate this should communicate that truth. And this this isn't a cold and indifferent message, as if God could care less what people do with it. There's a response to this message that God desires. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait, 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 wait. What about this whole Calvinism thing? What about this whole election thing? Aren't some people elect and some people are not elect? Hasn't God already chosen some people who will respond in faith and others will not? Isn't it true that God already knows who's going to be saved and who isn't? To which I respond, don't oversimplify the Bible. Don't try and squash every passage neatly into a theological system. Let each passage of the Bible speak for itself. And what does this passage say? Well, verse 20, God is making an appeal through us. He's asking, He's urging that people respond in a certain way. And then the verse continues that we should implore people, essentially beg, plead with them on behalf of Christ to receive this offer of salvation. That's there. That's what the passage says. And we should do our best to communicate that to others. Yes, you're in rebellion against God. But He proactively sent His Son into this world to die on your behalf so that you can be reconciled with Him. Please, don't take that lightly. Please recognize what He has done. Please be reconciled to your God. We need to remember how desperate people's situation is. We need to remember how precious this message is. And we need to remember how much Jesus suffered to make this all possible. There is no offer of reconciliation without the cross. Jesus died for this message. Jesus died so that people could be reconciled to God. Let's communicate this message with the appropriate sincerity. Okay, lastly, what does success look like in evangelism? My friends, we are not salesmen. We are ambassadors. We've been given a message that we must deliver. Okay? We don't get a bonus for how many people accept Jesus. Our success is not based on how many people respond to Jesus in faith. That is never in our hands. It's never in our hands. The power for salvation is in the gospel itself, the message itself. It's not in how dynamic your presentation is. What a good argument you make, how likable you are. We are not salesmen. Our role is to faithfully deliver the message 
that has been entrusted to us. And to, and to do our best to communicate that message in such a way that the weightiness of it and the sincere heart behind it is well represented. Right? If we do that, if we've been faithful to that, then we've done what God has called us to. Okay? Right? The rest is in God's hands. Okay? But we'll talk next week about the final piece, which is response, right? Response. We need to give this information and then we need to call people to respond to it. And how should we do that? How should we do that? We'll talk about that next week. Okay, thank you.